Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mark Bell's Power Project Podcast, hosted by Mark Bell and co-hosted by Encima Eang and myself, Andrew Zaragoza. Today, we have a really, really interesting podcast with Brad Marshall. Uh, Brad Marshall has done a bunch of experiments, uh, mainly on himself uh, in regards to uh, what he called the croissant diet. Now, I know that's um, that's going to catch a lot of attention right off the bat, but please make sure you guys understand that he is a highly, uh, he has all the credentials necessary to run this type of uh, experiment on himself. Um, he admits when he doesn't understand something, he doesn't try to lie and pretend that he knows everything. But what you guys will find uh, really interesting is that as soon as he started doing this diet, he started losing uh, inches around his waist within a couple of days. And then uh, he was having meals upwards of 6,000 calories and still losing weight. So naturally, uh, us being a bunch of meatheads, we asked him, like, is this a, a, a cool option for somebody trying to lean out, like, you know, bodybuilder status? Um, and Mark wants to remind everybody that before you completely turn this off and write everything this guy says off, uh, he wants to remind you guys that everybody thought Dr. Atkins was also pretty damn crazy. So again, uh, there's some really good information in here and, uh, you guys will, uh, soon find out whether or not Mark is going to actually attempt this style of diet. Uh, before I get out of your guys' way, I just want to remind everybody that markbell.com is still offering a free 30-day trial as long as you register and sign up and all that good stuff before the end of June. Um, there is now two different types of tiers of a membership. There is the, uh, the the standard one, and then there's also now a premium side of the uh, of the website where you can actually see what Team Super Training is doing, um, the, the full program that the, the, uh, the members of our gym uh, uh, actually get to receive and get to do you guys can do that as well as and really cool feature you get to put points up on a virtual scoreboard it's a way to keep you motivated a way to keep yourself accountable um, again that's at markbell.com and it is 100 free right now but you have to sign up before the end of june and lastly if you guys missed our call-in show please make sure you text uh you can text anything to uh 206-737-7369 to be notified the next time we do a call-in show. Um, we had a lot of fun. We took calls. Uh, we had Jesse Burdick on answering some of those questions that our callers had. And we have had an absolute blast. And we really want you guys to be a part of the next one. So please don't miss out. Again, that is 206-737-7369. The next time we go live and we're, check and we're taking calls, you guys will get a text message notification right on your phone. And you can click there and then you guys will be... Uh, you know, it'll it'll direct you straight to the YouTube video. And then, of course, on that YouTube video, when we open up the fan lines, you guys can uh, give us a ring. That's it for me. So, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy this show with Brad Marshall. I'm ready. Ready, Freddy. Are you sure you're ready? I'm ready with the spaghetti. Did it end up on your sweater already? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> see what you did there. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, talk about these uh, fats and fats and carbs mixing them together you know we've uh talked a lot on this podcast about sometimes that combination leading you to overeat you know and again i i don't think any any one of us thinks that necessarily that if you were to eat fat and carbs together that it would necessarily make you fat or if that you're to eat fat by itself or protein by itself carbs by itself or if you're to mix all three in one meal, I think we know enough now. Uh, we could say with the most certainty that we don't believe any of that will make you fat. But it's the it's the uh, 
accumulation of food over a long period of time and maybe not moving around enough, maybe not having the metabolism to handle the amount of food that you eat, not having enough muscle mass on your body. That could be kind of uh, impeding people's progress when it comes to losing fat. But today we're talking to Brad Marshall, and uh, he's going to talk to us about his croissant diet, <laughs> which he'll explain and he'll tell you guys as well. Um, you know, he he, it's a little gimmicky uh, on purpose. You know, it's it it's there's nothing in particular about a croissant that's going to be all that different. I don't think from some other foods, um, but it's just mixing. It's uh, mixing uh, starches and fats. What I'm interested to see is like, based on his theories, information, it sounds like it won't make you any fatter, <laughs> but will it help you get lean? Um, and he references uh, France and the people in, in France and stuff like that and how they, you know, how they live and, and how they look. Um, when I was in France, I just saw people smoke cigarettes and drink wine <laughs> and occasionally eat some cheese and some bread. So I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what their diet really looks like, but I didn't see a lot of eating going on. I also didn't see anybody jacked either. Not that there's nobody in France that's, that's, that's uh, you know, not jacked. But, you know, for the most part, I didn't see anybody that that looked like super built or super lean. They just weren't fat, mm -hmm. you know, so that'll be interesting to kind of discuss that. Does he think that this this method and having this knowledge will help like repel obesity or does he think that you can maybe take your training to the next level with some of the, some of these theories and concepts? Be interesting to find out. Well, France also doesn't have American portion sizes. I mean, I I think that that's the bigger deal, but we'll we'll learn more from him. But yeah, I was thinking yesterday when we, we got some portion sizes over there. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the croissant guy and I was just like, well, why not bagels? How about this? But I see, I guess it's just the flaky goodness. That's all. It it, it sounds incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it does. There's yeah. always a catch too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's going to turn out that his croissant is actually just a steak and he just imagines he's worked on his ah. mind so much that it's uh, he's actually just eating Piedmontese all the time. <laughs> or, or it flakes so much that you lose so much of the croissant that you just don't eat it all. You have to eat it, it in the car. It breaks apart. You have yeah. to eat it in the car is the trick. And then it just oh, yeah, it gets no. all over your shirt. To vacuum it all up. You don't even eat the whole croissant. <laughs> so what it, about when a croissant's in a bag and it has all that grease on the outside? Oh. That's when you know you did something. Oh, John it's, Cena just fell down. Oh, no. <sighs> Sad. No yeah, then, then the bag becomes see-through. Mm. That's really cool. Like paper bag, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What did you eat yesterday, Andrew, while you're coughing, trying to reach for breath? <laughs> I know. So yesterday, I just, I had more Monster Mash. It mm -hmm. was amazing. And I've been using the Piedmontese ground beef. And, you know. That's stuff. It's funny. You did, did you play the song, the Monster Mash song? No, I did not. Oh. No, no. But it was funny because somebody had asked me a while back, like, like, aren't you tired of eating Monster Mash and da, da, da. And then when I went off of it, I like really craved it and then now that i'm having it this way i'm like dude this is like on the h and l like the, it just there's something a little different about the piedmontese ground beef not sure exactly what that is mm -hmm. but for whatever reason it just it, it tastes incredible and then i started adding mustard to it i don't know if that sounds insane these uh these, but it tastes great <laughs> these people <laughs> you sound very childish right now andrew <laughs> <laughs> Three years from now, you're gonna look back at that and say, "I can't believe I said that." I'm just, just kidding. No. Hey, man, whatever, whatever gets you through it, right? You know, yeah. whatever gets you through it. And I think 
bodybuilders have recognized this so they they made like steak shakes and they made chicken <laughs> the chicken shake chicken and the, shake, yeah and and i don't know if people know this they don't know i don't know if they know their history on these uh shakes i don't know who first brought it about but i think uh the first i ever heard about it was from a guy named Derek poundstone who was a, a united states uh a strongman competitor and mm-hmm. he was like in the running for being able to uh snatch the victory away from like marius pujanowski and some of those formidable strongmen from years ago when the United States can figure out how to, how to, uh, how to win a strongman competition for a little while. But uh, Derek Poundstone started it all out with a tuna shake. <laughs> and you know what happened is mercury levels like went through the room. He like started not feeling good and stuff. And his wife's like, Hey, do you think it's, you know, you think maybe it's those shakes? And he's like, no, he's like, it can't be that. He's yeah. like, that's just protein. Oh my God. <laughs> and he got like his uh, blood levels checked and his mercury was all out of whack, but you can't have, you're not going to get high mercury from these Piedmontese cows. I don't think. Nope. And you, you definitely don't need to blend them up in a shake to get all your protein. in. Hey, that's for sure. These people too, these Piedmontese people, they're serious. They're like built. Building, they're building out some really extraordinary buildings. I saw some pictures of it the other day. Damn. They have uh, the, I don't know if you guys got sent the New York strips that are aged. No. I've got to have them send those out to you. I, I didn't know what they were because they came in a box and it just didn't say anything on it. Mm-hmm. But I knew they were special because they came in their own box. You know, everything oh else was wrapped up a certain way and this <laughs> came in its own box. Um, but it didn't have any information in there. <laughs> and uh, I just, I knew they were something special. So I had my brother-in-law cook them up. He, he knows how to cook like a, like there's no tomorrow. So I, uh, I said, hey, man, I don't want to mess these up. I'm going to have you mess with these things. And I don't know what he did. I think he cooked it in the oven for a little while and i think he threw it on the uh, cast iron for a little while mm-hmm. but it was some of the best steak i've ever had and it was just wow i mean we were all just <laughs> losing our minds he used some sort of mushrooms on it too i can't remember what they were called but they got us all really high and we enjoyed ourselves nice i like it <laughs> there we go so if you guys want no, not those kind of mushrooms. yeah <laughs> for more information on piedmontese please head over to piedmontese.com that's p-i-e-d-m-o-n-t ESE dot com at checkout. Enter promo code Power Project for twenty five percent off your order. And if your order is ninety nine dollars or more, you get free two day shipping. Let me send this email out. You're a little oh, bit, there. He goes. You're a little bit like a John Cena. How so? And Cena. John Cena is the annoying guy that everyone hates mm. because he's jacked. He's good looking. He's smart. He's strong. He's just like everything everybody wants to be, but it just can't be. No matter how hard they try. Mm-hmm. Well, and no matter how much trend someone takes, <laughs> no matter how many books someone reads, they can't catch up. Yeah. Oh, well. But Cena, you know, where Cena's different is like, for some reason, his wrist is like the size of your fist. I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why he's like that. I don't know with, with the growth hormone or something that's going on. Or, he has amazing or hair. What happened. He has yeah, he's amazing got some, hair. He's got he got some hair that made it come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, was, you, he had it real short for a long time. Do you know what he was like in school by any chance? Mm. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> You know, I didn't know him then. Uh, I knew him like early 20s or mid 20s or so. Um, but uh, our buddy Spray, who we've had on the podcast before, um, I always forget Spray's real name. But <laughs> Me too. Known him for 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, Spray. Some spray. Spray. Some gross nickname that he got from running around naked at a party or something like that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so Spray tells a story. Rob McIntyre, there we go. Rob McIntyre tells a story of like when Cena came to their school the first time. John was 
he was in public school and then he switched over to a private school and he was one of the uh he was one of the kids that was able to be in the private school because he was willing to work he did his family didn't have the money to send him to a private school um i don't know what the situation was on why they felt like they needed to get him to this particular school maybe it was the area they lived in or something i'm not sure so he went to this private school and he's there for just a couple of days and everyone starts talking about how uh john cena's at the school and people are like well who the fuck is john cena they're like well he's gonna speak today uh, in the um we're gonna have like an assembly you know that's the coolest thing when you're in school and you have an assembly it's like a reason to get out of class yeah and i don't know what grade this is but i'm just imagining it's like ninth or tenth grade or something like that or maybe even a little earlier i'm not sure but uh they're like yeah he's gonna give this speech and john gives his speech how you know he's new at the school but he wants everyone to recognize that everyone's similar and that everyone should be striving to understand that they're the future of america <laughs> <laughs> and he said it was wild because it was like actually a really cool speech, even though he's only been there for like three days. John Cena's always been John Cena. That's he's the always point. been John Cena. Yep. What's up, Brad? Hey guys, how's it going? Yo. We're just uh, over here down in some croissants, man, in hopes that we'll get Jackson Tan. <laughs> nice. Hey, it's <laughs> nice. uh great. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you on the show. And. uh I was made aware of, of your content through uh, Ron Penna. I'm not sure if you know who Ron Penna is, but he sold Quest Nutrition recently, and he's he's one of the original co-founders of Quest Nutrition. Yeah, yeah, no, Ron is actually a big uh, a big supporter of the of the of my especially my new project. So, oh, of um, course you're aware of him. I forgot he put us in an email thread together. But I, I, when yeah. he sent it over, I'm like, who is this guy that's eating croissants? What's going on with this? So, if you don't mind, maybe just kind of start out by uh, giving us uh, some of your background because I, I think you have an interesting background. All the different things that you've studied and and your education, and then now uh, sounds like you're very much into food and cooking and kind of a culinary side of things, which I think is is interesting as well. Yeah. And so, um, uh, so, you know, I went to school for, I went to Cornell for, uh, molecular biology. Um, and so I, you know, I have a degree, I did cancer research for a couple of years at Memorial Sloan Kettering, uh, cancer center. And, um, you know, from there I was worked at the Drosophila genome project out in Berkeley. Um, and so I, I have a science background, but, um, and, while in New York, I went to the French Culinary Institute. I've always loved cooking, and I love farmers markets. And so, over the you just years, rattled I really off, got more interested. By the way, just so that, that just so the audience is aware, you just rattled off some of the most prestigious uh, colleges and, and uh, culinary institutes <laughs> in the entire country. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so, but and so, yeah, I was, you know, I was doing science. And I was doing some computer science really at Berkeley. Um, but my, my passion really is more, I just love food and I, and culinary. And so that's, so anyways, at some point I kind of left the academic world and I moved back to upstate New York where I'm originally from and I bought a farm and started raising pigs. Right. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of where that went. And, and that, um, so I've been doing that for a long time and over the years, just learning about, um, 
just learning more and more about pigs and the history and how they've been fed and how that's changed. Um, I, I've just, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount of, about that. And so that kind of like segued into um, the ideas behind, you know, the croissant diet that I did. Um, and that was heavily influenced uh, by a blog called Hyperlipid. I, I, are you guys familiar with the blog of Hyperlipid at all? No, I'm not. Um, so, Writing it down. Though. So Hyperlip, <laughs> yeah, Hyperlipid is 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 a uh, it's a it is a fantastic blog, um, and but it is not for the faint of heart. It's full of jargon. Um, and it's all about what happens in the mitochondria. So, like, if you don't, it's it's kind of like inaccessible if you don't have a pretty serious biology background. Yeah. Um, so it's a tough read, but but he really has introduced and kind of popularized um, this idea that I wrote. I wrote a blog series on last, I guess, last June, June of 2019, called uh, the ROS theory of obesity and that means reactive oxygen species um which are like free radicals and i'm not going to dig into it right now because i'm trying to give the overview but um basically the idea is that not is that the type of fats that you're that you are oxidizing that your mitochondria are actually eating makes a huge difference as to your insulin sensitivity um and and that affects a lot of uh, sort of like energy balance through the whole body, um, and so and basically what basically the argument boils down to this: if you eat a lot of really saturated fat, certain tissues in your body become very insulin resistant, and um, the one that becomes the most insulin resistant is your abdominal fat, mm-hmm. and so. The idea is if you eat a lot of very saturated fat, um, you know, what is insulin? Insulin is a signal. Insulin does a lot of things. But one of the things that insulin is, is a signal to store energy. And so if you can specifically make your abdominal fat insulin resistant, it won't store energy. And so this type of insulin resistance is very different from you know, someone with type two diabetes, which has this sort of long-term pathological type of insulin resistance. This is like a very specific targeted way to like target, you know, mostly abdominal fat, but other fat stores. And so that instead of, so that those tissues, instead of, you know, instantly starting to absorb and take on energy, once they see the signal from insulin, they're actually going to say, you know what? I'm full. I don't need any more energy right now. I'm just going to stay here and I'm just going to happily keep burning fat rather than storing fat. Um, and so that's the idea. Um, and if you, if you read my, on my blog, the theory of obesity, um, it talks a lot about these studies done in mice. They've done several studies in mice where mice given a high stearic acid diet which is a, which is a mixed diet of both you know fat and carbohydrate um those mice remain very lean um doing the thing that we're all told not to do which is to combine starch and fat and so that's you know that's what gave me the idea for obviously for the croissant diet was i you know i looked at what the mice were eating and i was like well that 
to me as a chef, that sounds like a croissant, right? And so, um, <laughs> obviously, you know, the croissant diet's kind of cheeky, right? Um, it is, it's a stunt, but it's also, um, you know, I just wanted to point out that, that this idea that, um, you know, starch is always bad, which I think is what we have. And this idea that you can never mix fat and starch together. I'm not, I'm not sure that's right. Um, and so I also love the history of food. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I went to French culinary school, so I know a lot about French cuisine and the history of French food. And, and, you know, the thing is, um, you know, I, on my blog, I write a lot about, traditional diets and what people have been eating. But if you look at France in 1970, let's say, um, and I picked that time for a specific reason, but at that point, the French were still not really eating any vegetable oil. Um, they were eating, they were definitely eating lots of croissants. They were eating um, dessert. They were eating lots of calories like over 3000 calories a day per capita, um, lots of butter, lots of cream, lots of beef, lots of pork fat, um, along with lots of white flour and potatoes, you know? And if you look at photos from France in the 1970s, everyone is lean. Like, you know, I have a picture on my blog of an airport scene in Paris in 1970. And there's like hundreds of people in the photo and like, there's no obese people in the whole, you know, you can see all the profiles of all the people and like, you're like, where are all the obese people? If that was an American airport, you know, mm -hmm. a third of the people or more would be obese. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, how? And so I got into the low carb. I did my first low carb diet back when Atkins was big in like 2000 and I don't know, 2001 or 2002, something like that. And so for a long time, I've been in the kind of keto community. I mean, don't, I mean, I, I, I cheated a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not saying I've been consistent with it, but for a long time I've had in my head that the, the best way to lose weight is, is to do a low carb diet, but I've always struggled because I also know that people, you know, like the French diet, that's not what they did and they weren't obese. And so I've okay. always kind of like struggled to reconcile those two facts. Like I don't, I didn't know how to put that together. And so, um, you know, last year I definitely, I gained a lot of weight. I had a lot of belly fat specifically. Um, and that's when I started reading hyperlipid again. It's a blog I've read a lot over the years and I started reading it again and I went through it all and I learned all of his jargon. There's a lot of jargon so that I could actually, you know, really read the articles and kind of start to understand them. And that's what, you know, and I, I had done, uh, in the early part of that year, I had tried a keto diet and I tried carnivore for a little while and I really wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting the same results of weight loss as I did as a 25 year old, as I was as a 43 year old, you know? Um, and so that's when I came up with the idea of just doing this diet. And instead of, um, thinking about the carb angle, thinking really hard about the types of fats and the amounts of fats. And so I started eating this diet that, um, Yes, I was using starch as a basically a binder as a as a vehicle to consume this highly saturated fat. And like 
my waistline started to change like in a matter of days. Can you give us some examples um, of like the meals that you would be eating? Sure. So, I mean, in the beginning I was literally making croissants. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, I, so what I, <laughs> what I did was I realized, you know, the mice, the mice in the diet were eating uh, stearic acid, which is, it's the long chain saturated fat. Um, it's in, beef fat it's in chocolate it's in like a lot of things i mean almost all foods have some stearic acid but mm-hmm. it's more concentrated in things like beef and and um yeah and so so what i was doing is i was making classic french croissants except i was replacing a lot of the butter with just pure stearic acid that i bought from like a lab so this was like <laughs> really 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 saturated fat wow um, like more than you can get from any natural sources. But I mean, but it was just a classic French croissant and I was, and I was making sandwiches. So I was eating like two of these croissant sandwiches a day and, um, you know, pretty big sandwiches and, um, and I'm a wine drinker. So I would drink wine at night and that was kind of it. And so two croissant sandwiches later, a day, just, just clarifying that that's like, that's kind of what you would eat. That's about what it was. And I was kind of alternating back and forth between like some days. The other thing about the saturated fat is really satiating. And I think there's physiological reasons for that, which we could talk about. But um, so I sort of started alternating between like two meals one day and then one meal the next day because I just I just wasn't that hungry Mm -hmm. um, with all of the stearic acid I was consuming. Um, It's really kind of filling. It's actually kind of like you're like, wow, that's I've. I mean, that's a thing I've struggled with my whole life is satiation. You know, I've never, it's like at the end of the meal, it's like, I just, I just want to keep eating. You know what I mean? But with those, but with that stearic acid, I was just like, wow, okay, no, I'm done. I can't even, I don't even want anymore. And like the idea of like me walking away from a half empty plate is not a thing that's happened a lot of times in my life. So, you know, I was like, all right, this is, this is cool. Something, something's happening here. Like this is different. And have have um, you played, have you played with this theory in terms of, uh, calories? Like, have you looked into calories at all? Like, um, did, did you, did you eat anything other than the two sandwiches a day type of thing? And did you record just, just, just to gain, gain more information? I have. And I, I think like, I don't believe that I was, I was not like seriously constricting calories at all. I, I don't think, I mean, um, so I was drink, I was drinking wine freely during all of this. Um, and I even cheated a lot the first time, but like, uh, so if I was eating, you know, two sandwiches in a day, I, I have it somewhere. I couldn't tell you, but on those days I was easily consuming 4,000 calories or more, I think. Um, and then maybe two to 20, 2000 to 2,500 calories on the, on the alternate days. Um, I actually retested this in the, uh, this past winter. Um, and I haven't published those results yet only because it was like, I got, (laughs) it was like a whole conf. There was like, I didn't have, I I had left my last job, so I didn't have healthcare. I wanted to get my... (laughs) Uh, my blood lipid profiles done and a bunch of other data, but my healthcare didn't, my new healthcare turns out didn't kick until March and I started in February. And then I came down with this gnarly flu right as I was starting the diet. So my blood sugar numbers were all weird. And then, (laughs) and then by the end it was like the coronavirus shut down and (laughs) it was just like a series of like, uh, it's like a series of unfortunate events. Um, 
So I want to really retrial it this, um, this summer with, or yeah, this summer with like a lot of data um, and really try to understand what's going on with like um, my blood lipids. I've got this idea that I'm going to, um, I, I posted another article in March when I was on the, the kind of the second month of the retrial. And then I was, so I had started the diet in early February. I initially, just like before, you know, I lost like three inches off of my, you know, like the fattest part of my stomach within, I don't know, a week or two. Um, and then it kind of plateaued a little bit over the second half of February. And so that's when I was like, you know, I think I need to like, really re-up the stearic acid. And so um, I wrote this article called stearic acid macro dosing, where I like made this, I made a meal and I literally, um, you know, sorry, my earphone is giving me problems. Um, I calculated like I was, I made a, the meal was basically a, a pile of French fries. And then I did like fried chicken and batter. Right. Um, that sounds like and I lot. weighed, yeah, no, it's good. And so I, I took the, you know, I made the, the, oil, the stearic acid and butter mix and, you know, weighed the pot, fried everything, weighed it all out, you know, weighed the oil afterwards. And, and I knew the, the approximate percentage of saturated fat was in there. So that I actually knew kind of exactly the number of calories of saturated fat that I'd eaten in that meal. And it was, it was a lot. It was like, close to a hundred grams, I think of just stearic acid and, and, and palmitic acid, the other long chain saturated fat. And so it was like, that was a lot. And then, <laughs> and then, so I ate that huge meal and I think it, you know, it was easily, that was like 6,000 calories. Or <laughs> and then including the wine, that's an easy <laughs> way to get more calories. in. and so then, <laughs> then, then the follow-up article to that is called wine fasting. Because then what I did was the next night, I didn't, the next day I didn't eat any solid food, but I drank wine. And then, you know, over that 48 hours, the first time I did it, I lost something like nine pounds. And of course, some of that is, is, you know, some of that I'm sure is like water weight or whatever, you know, the sugar or, or glycogen and other things. But I also lost, you know, like three quarters of an inch off my waist in 48 hours. And the, the concept is that that huge meal of saturated fat gets your, uh, gets your abdominal cells to actually release energy rather than storing it. And it allows you to fast because you're not hungry because, and it kind of kicks the body into fat burning mode. Um, there's another really interesting article that I reference in the ROS theory of obesity where, um, they gave volunteers uh, these shakes and it's like a smoothie. I, it's like a, yeah, like a fruit smoothie basically. And one of the shakes had, I think like 24 or 28 grams of stearic acid in it. Um, and they basically put, put these, put the volunteers on a vegan diet for like two days. And then they gave them a shake either with the stearic acid or without and so they, they drank the stearic acid and then, uh, within hours, what happened is their mitochondria actually fused together. 
So the mitochondria actually change their physical configuration due to the stearic acid because they, you know, there's low level signaling happening, which is causing them to fuse, which is causing them to actually ramp up their metabolism. Um, and what, and another thing that can happen is this thing called mitochondrial uncoupling. So a mitochondria is like a little battery. And as you digest your food, it's basically pumping, they call it pumping protons, but the outer part of the mitochondria gets positively charged and the, in the inside membrane is negatively charged. So it's like a little battery with a positive and negative terminal. And there's this protein it actually spins. It's like a rotor. It's crazy. But uh, as the protons run back down through because they're the positive charge and they want to go back to the negative charge, um, it spins this thing. And that's what actually makes ATP, which is the fuel that most of our body reactions run on. Um, but if you are creating too many, and we haven't talked about what the ROS actually are yet, but if you're creating a lot of them, what will happen is your mitochondria will uncouple. And so this other protein called uncoupling protein one um, will insert its, itself into the membrane and the protons will just run back through without creating any ATP. And so what happens, so when your mitochondria are uncoupled, you're literally just burning off calories as heat. You're not you're not storing or making use of any of that. And so anecdotally on Twitter, et cetera, I've had a lot of people tell me that like, yeah, when I eat stearic acid, I just get hot. Like my body temperature rises. I, I feel like physically hot because this uncoupling is happening. I mean, presumably because the uncoupling is happening. So does um, a lot of this, so that's, does a lot of it come down to using stearic acid specifically uh, in, in meals um, or, yeah, so, so that's a really interesting question. So, um, stearic, so, and this is an ongoing debate and question, and I don't, I don't have the answer. Um, what I really think is it's long chain saturated fats. The other major one that's in a lot of foods is palmitic acid. Yeah. Um, and the only difference between the two of them is stearic acid is 18 carbons long and, uh, palmitic acid is 16 carbons long. So, but they're both doing the same they're both doing the same thing. Um, and there's some, you know, there's some enzymes that, that recognize one or the other one specifically. Um, and there's a lot of physiology there. Uh, some people think that there is something very special about stearic acid. Um, you know, I know that Peter, the author of the blog hyperlipid does not think is less sure that there's anything specifically unique to uh, stearic acid and that palmitic acid might work just as well. Um, so that's, a, a, I'm not sure, but, but I can't say that long chain saturated fat in general um, is what kind of makes, if the ROS theory of obesity is indeed correct, it's because you're eating lots of long chain saturated fats and also minimizing the number of unsaturated fats. Yeah, um, I'd like to mention uh there's some people that are listening right now who are like, this guy is totally full of shit and people are, you know, people are falling off. I want people to stick around. I want people to pay attention to this because I want people to understand that, 
you know, they used to think that Dr. Dr. Atkins was crazy as well, you know, and there's a lot of people like yourself that end up uh, finding things that can help people. Overall, I think I think the goal is almost always similar. I think the goal is to always try to find foods that are satiating enough to keep people that struggle with their body weight to uh, be able to just have some type of control over their diet. I mean, diet food is downright maddening. You know, it, it has a spell on us. And it's for those people that have been addicted to food, they know exactly what I'm talking about. I myself used to wake up in the middle of the night and just smash my uh, pantry and just eat everything that was, you know, anything in sight like I was a bear. And it just created a lot of bad habits. And I and I did that for for uh, for many years. There's a lot of a lot of people that struggle with their food on a day to day basis. And some of the stuff that you're mentioning, it sounds very familiar to me when somebody talks about fiber or when somebody talks about protein leveraging. I mean, we know how effective there's so much research on protein leveraging and what it can do. I know it's very foreign for people to hear, yeah, I think I think you can eat croissants and be fine. And I think you can eat these things and be fine. But truly what you're saying is, I have found something that for me, it feels like when I eat this way, it helps me gain control over my diet. And so somebody that's listening to this, I want them to understand the fact that you might be able to go the croissant route. That might be super effective, but you also might be able to just to put some butter on your steak and have a baked potato with it. Would that be, would that work? And it's not as exciting, but would that work in a similar fashion, do you think? Yeah. And I, and I you know, I want people to understand that. I didn't, <laughs> I'm not really recommending that people just eat croissants. Um, I did it because I wanted to show that, um, sure, for a lot of people, carbohydrates are a huge game changer, but it's not, it's not the only thing. You know, this, this fat ratio, I think, really matters. And I don't think it's been emphasized enough. So, so my goal in doing the croissant diet wasn't really for everyone to run out and start eating croissants. Um, although it's fun to do that. And the, the idea that you can do that is great. Right. So that's cool. But, but really what I wanted to emphasize is that perhaps this fat ratio, this polyunsaturated to saturated fat ratio is a much overlooked um, contributor to, to body weight. And, and, and in fact, the types of, where your body gains it. So I, I actually, um, so I, I make a product which is basically um, called, well, I guess it's just called fire in a bottle, but, or stearic acid butter oil, but it's basically just, it's mostly butter and it's got like the 20% additional stearic acid on top of it, which is about, stearic acid has a high melting point. It's like 170 degrees. So it's like hard candle wax. So you can only add so much until <laughs> you're literally just like, eating like wax lips, you know, remember those? <laughs> um, so, so the butter oil is, um, is something that you can actually just melt and like you say, put it over your steak and eat it that way. And, and I think that can go a long way to like aiding satiation. Um, so there's different ways to use it. Um, but I will say this, uh, starch is a really good vehicle for, consuming a lot of stearic acid so that's kind of like where that's where the starch is actually helpful um in that sense you know like if you're going to go on a long fast a great way to do it is to start by eating a lot of stearic acid it kind of like kicks everything off um 
And, um, but, and I do want to talk about, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot on my blog is like, and I've already brought it up, is the traditional French diet. And, and that's, that's something where, um, you know, if you look at what people in France in 1970 were eating, it was, it was starch, butter, cream, uh, beef, and lard from barley-finished hogs, basically. Um, and that last part is important, what the pigs ate. Um, and they were lean. And the only re- real thing, you know, it, back then they were already eating, the French loved dessert. They were eating, you know, like 400 calories a day of sugar back then. They were eating more than 3,000 calories a day overall. And they were lean and they were eating, yeah, like I say, baguettes, white flour, plenty of it. And so the only real thing that's changed in the French diet is that one, they now are adding liquid oils, mostly in the form of, of uh, sunflower seed oil. And they've changed from barley finished pork to a lot more corn finished pork. And so when you feed animals corn oil, that's what their fat becomes made out of, you know? And so the French have had two ways that polyunsaturated fats have entered their diet. One is directly through, you know, added sunflower seed oil. And the other one is indirectly through changing how they feed their livestock. And so, and now in France, obesity rates are rising just like they are everywhere else. Um, And so to me, that's like, when, I think about, you know, the sort of root causes of obesity, like in diabetes and where do they start? I am more and more every day starting to be convinced that the root cause is this change in dietary fat and that that is ultimately what kind of screws up your, your enzyme systems and your metabolic balance. And then you know, once you're out of whack, um, you know, then uh, like, I'm not sure if you can sort of put Humpty Dumpty back together again. (laughs) Um, And so I've been thinking a lot about this analogy of like, all right, we know that if you remove carbohydrate from your diet, that helps a lot of people lose weight. Um, But it doesn't necessarily mean that that was the initial thing that, that caused the weight gain or the diabetes. Um, And I like to use an analogy of like, you know, it's like with a ketogenic diet, um, they were initially uh, made for, um, uh, what do you call Seizures. People have seizures. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, epileptic, right. epileptic seizures. Epilepsy, yeah. And so, you know, we know that a very ketogenic diet can treat uh, seizures. And so that's like you remove all the carbohydrates and you remove a lot of proteins to get ketones very high. Um, that will treat seizures. But... Um, that doesn't necessarily mean, but we wouldn't say that the cause of seizures are dietary carbohydrate and protein, right? So removing those treats it, but that doesn't mean that those things are the root cause. And I think we might have a situation with starch and vegetable oil where the addition of these polyunsaturated fats are the thing that starts your metabolism going in the wrong direction. And then later you can you know, that gets your insulin all out of whack. And then later you can sort of fix some of it by removing the carbohydrate because now you've just stopped producing insulin, right? The carbohydrate stimulates a lot of insulin. So now you've, you've, you've changed the insulin part of the equation, but, but I, I really think that the thing that 
gets your metabolism out of whack in the first place was actually the vegetable oil. How do you um, think uh, like dosages play into this? Like, like how many carbohydrates, how, how much of this, uh, you know, acid are you trying to get? And then kind of in addition to that is grass fed beef have any, you know, amplification of, of this type of fat? Sure. So, uh, you know, I, I've only, <laughs> everybody's metabolism obviously is going to be different. Like how much, and every people ask me all the time, well, how much stearic acid do I need? And I, I don't know. What I can say is that in that, in the milkshake, the banana milkshake study where they ate the 24 grams of, of stearic acid in one shot, that was enough to get their mitochondria to fuse. So, so that's a good starting point, but obviously like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a diet guru. I, I, so I, um, when I was doing my stearic acid macro dosing, which was incredibly effective, I was consuming like 70 to hundred grams of, of stearic and palmitic acid. So, you know, so that's a lot. I mean, that's a 900 calories or a thousand calories just from the fat in that one, in that single meal. So, um, you know, I don't know what, to. <laughs> I, I, I would say, you know, like with anything else, people are going to have to try it and, and see what works for them and monitor. What I tell people though, is, um, don't just rely on the scale, get a, get a tape measure and, and watch how your waistline is changing because that might be the first place that you notice. Uh, that might be the first place that you notice a difference. It really does. Um, in the, in the studies that I got the idea from the mice fed the stearic acid have like no abdominal fat, like none, like you almost can't even see it in some of the pictures, you know, they do, they like dissect the mice and then they show the, like the internal fat pads and they're like non-existent. In this how do you think, fed mice. how do you think somebody could use this to, you know, get leaner? Like, let's say it's somebody like, um, you know, I, I know we're talking kind of more specifically about, people that are heavy people that are overweight but what about the guy that uh you know he's 20 pounds away from being able to see some abs or something like that how do you think someone can utilize uh maybe this protocol yeah i mean i would say um if i would say to try doing a a a meal that's very high in saturated fat um you know and it doesn't have to be there's also, if you're, you know, uh, if you're a vegan or something, you could do it with cocoa butter. Like cocoa butter is a great source of stearic acid. It's got a ton of it. So, you know, I would say to, to do whatever you need to do to consume a ton of stearic acid and then go from that right into a fast, you know, whether that's an intermittent fast or, or a longer one and just see if you can like, you know, literally just kick into that kind of fat burning mode and just run with it for a while. Do they take um, their calories into account? Like the, the total calories that they're eating into account? Cause I'm just thinking about this from, from an application point of view. And if I was just someone and I was like, okay, well, that's a lot of fat and I'm already eating, let's just arbitrarily say 2,500 calories. Right. And I'm right. eating, I'm already eating a hundred grams of fat a day. Now, what do I do? Do I add that hundred grams on top of the hundred grams I'm eating and keep my calories the same? Do I substitute sure. 50 grams and have another 50 grams of, uh, stearic acid? Well, like, I'm just curious, so, like really. So, yeah. It. So, so here's what, that's actually a really good question. And, and so I think what matters, what's super important is 
the ratio of saturated to unsaturated fat. So like if you're eating, if you're eating, um, I'm going to say American bacon or American chicken with skin, those are foods that have, you know, more polyunsaturated fat than canola oil. Um, so that's going to throw your ratios off. If you're eating olive oil, if you're eating nuts, if you're eating avocados, I would say to make this work, I would say ditch all of that stuff and get 100% of your fat from really saturated sources. Um, meaning beef, dairy, um, uh, cocoa butter, um, and kind of like not, uh, if you can get, beef suet that is a very high saturated source um but it's would it not. be a benefit well, if it was, a lot of american if it was grass-fed would it be any benefit the grass-fed is indeed more saturated than corn finished beef but anyways i wanted to f- follow up you'd asked a question before um and so yeah so to, to finish the answer to this question i would say yeah i mean i wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to like increase calories but i would focus really laser level on eliminating sources of unsaturated fat and focusing on really saturated sources. That's what I would do. Coconut oil is like one that's, um, I'm not sure it, it, it has very little unsaturated fats. So in that sense, it's good. But since all of the, the, uh, the fats are shorter chain fats, they're, they're treated a little bit differently. So that's one that I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't have a strong opinion on coconut oil either way yet. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Um, but I wanted to get back to your question before of, of what happens of cows. And so, yes, um, beef that's corn fed does have more unsaturated and less saturated fat than grass finished beef, but the difference isn't huge. And the reason for that is that beef actually, um, hydrogenate the fats that you give them. Uh, uh, They don't do it. The, the, bugs in their rumen do it. So they'll, if you feed corn oil to a cow, they will actually saturate it before they store it. But pigs and chickens do not. So if you feed um, corn to a pig or even worse, um, what happens in America today is 30% of our corn crop gets made into ethanol, you know, that we put in our gas tanks and what happens when it, so corn is a fairly oily grain. It's got about two to three times the oil of like wheat or barley. Um, and that's why you see corn oil at the store, but you don't see like wheat oil. Right. Um, and so, um, so all of that corn gets made into ethanol. And so the starch is removed. And so what's left once you remove the starch, it's the protein and the oil. And so they have this thing called dry distillers grains, which is the leftover from ethanol production and they feed that to the pigs in the midwest and so that that really concentrates the corn oil and then they feed that to the pigs and so pigs fed this this distillers grains can have something like 28 percent of the omega-6 vegetable oils in the fat so like if you're eating bacon Uh, You know, canola oil has like 16% omega-6 polyunsaturated fat, and your bacon might have almost double that amount if you're buying regular American bacon. 
Um, and so that's my new, that's actually my new, just shameless plug here. That's my new project is fire brand meats when I'm trying to get, trying to, I'm actually making a pork that is going to have like less than 5% of the polyunsaturated fats because pigs and chickens can only get polyunsaturated fats from their feed. Like animals can't make polyunsaturated fats. Like if you don't feed it to them, they won't have it. Mm. And so I think that is a really underrated source of people doing keto. Um, and like, you know, you're struggling at weight loss and you're trying to figure out why I think people don't realize how much unsaturated or polyunsaturated fats they're getting in their bacon, in their chicken, in their eggs, even. And it's only because in America, like (laughs) it's so funny. It's like, well, you feed pigs and chickens corn. That's what you do, mm-hmm. you know, and that is in the mindset of every nutritionist, every feed mill, every farmer. Like I've been trying to make this low polyunsaturated fat pork for years. I mean, I have been making it for years, but it's like, there's so many blocks in the community because the farmer's like, well, can you feed, can you even feed a pig barley? And it's like, and I'll say things like this never goes over well. They don't really get it, but I'll be like, well, do you know that pigs were domesticated in, in you know, Europe and Asia 10,000 years ago and corn was domesticated in America and pigs were never fed corn until, you know, 1492 or whatever. It's the first time that pigs met corn. Um, <laughs> but they don't. And some <laughs> they don't of my, some of my understanding, some of my understanding is that pigs are, some of the better animals to run tests on because they maybe run a little similar to a human. Am I correct in that or my way off? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And so, and there's, and there's some really interesting things here. Like, like, all right. So for instance, um, I don't know if you've heard of a Mangalitsa pigs, but mm-hmm. they're, um, they're, it's a European pig. We recently brought them into the U S and they're over there. They make uh uh, something called spec out of them where you basically like you, Oh, I'm familiar with that. Like yeah. Dry cure. You dry cure the whole pig into something like prosciutto, but it's like the whole animal and they mm. dry, they hang the whole thing and dry it. And it's, it's pretty cool admittedly. Um, but those pigs, uh, are very interesting. Um, they'll put on a lot of fat. They'll store a lot of fat physiologically. And so what happens in those pigs is they don't make as much saturated fat as, um, as like a, like a classic, like a Berkshire hog, which is like a classic meat. They have fantastic meat quality. Berkshire hogs will put on a decent amount of back fat, but not nearly as much as, um, as the Mangalitsa. And so it, it seems like there's potentially this physiological mechanism where Mangalitsas were adapted to put on tons of fat by the fact that they're making unsaturated rather than saturated fats. Um, you know, that's, that's totally, that's just a guess that that's the, but it is true that these pigs that are old, old fashioned quote, lard pigs, um, they don't, they make less saturated fat than the hog, than the classic kind of meat or bacon hogs as they call them, which stay leaner those leaner pigs put on a much higher proportion of saturated fat. Um, This is similar to uh, if you look at obese humans, they make more of an enzyme. There's an enzyme that converts saturated fats to unsaturated fats. And 
obese humans tend to make more of this enzyme. And so when obese humans store their dietary fat, it tends to be a lot higher proportion of monounsaturated than in a lean person who's storing a lot more saturated fat. And so this is all kind of like folds into this idea that the saturation level of your fat is this key underlying thing that's controlling body fatness level. Um, you know, and, and, and I talk about, I don't talk about the Mangalitsa thing in the ROS theory of obesity, but I do talk about how obese people do have much more unsaturated fat in their, in their body stores. Um, and I think that's, I think that's very interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, the other thing is that modern pigs, so in the 90s, they bred for ultra lean pigs. And what happened there was that the pigs actually lost um, the ability to make their own fat. So this was like a, this was like a trick uh, that the industry pulled off when pork became like the other white meat. Uh, you guys probably remember that. <laughs> um, and these pigs like put on very small amounts of fat. But what happens is since they can't make their own fat, they're actually forced to get it from their diet. Um, and they're mostly fed corn. And so these pigs are genetically just going to put on a lot higher proportion again of the polyunsaturated fats, um, you know, compared to, uh, compared to other more old fashioned pigs. And so, so over the years, um, the kind of industry has done all of these things to change the quality of the fat that we're getting from our pigs and from our chickens without, you know, without even so much as giving us a heads up, right. They just, they just went ahead and did it and no one's even thinking about it or talking about it. So that's, yeah. That's when it comes to my role in the world, when it comes to this, uh, ROS theory of obesity, um, why is it important to have starches in there? Because we're talking a lot about the fat, the makeup of the fat and how important that is. Why is it important to also add uh, a carbohydrate in there or starch specifically? Right. So this is a question I get a lot. Um, it actually has nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, other than that, well, okay. One, uh, the starch, as I said, is a really good vehicle to help you absorb a whole lot of stearic acid. So in that sense, it's important. Um, it's important to the theory of it because I wanted to show that the reason that I was losing weight wasn't that I was on a ketogenic diet. I wanted to show that I was losing weight while eating starch. It was kind of like a handicap, right? I'm like, how can I show that if I lose weight on this diet, it's specifically because of the fat content and not because I'm keto or, you know, something else. Right. Um, and so I use the carbohydrate as a, as a way to show that it, it was indeed the the, the specific fats that were causing the changes I was seeing rather than carbohydrates. But no, there's no reason that the carbohydrate is necessary or perhaps even useful. Although, I mean, makes it more fun. <laughs> it makes it more fun. It's also fun because I like eating croissants and that's cool. Um, but I mean, having, I don't know. I mean, having said that, I can also look at like, if you look at, um, there's another, article on my blog called uh, the French diet in America or in, in upstate New York. Um, there's a great as cool old Cornell paper showing exactly how much um, fat and potatoes uh, dairy farm and just all farmers in upstate New York were eating around 19 
late 1930s. Um, and they look a lot like Parisians in 1970. And they're both, both cultures are eating tons of starch and saturated fat. And all of them, all the photos, everyone's like stick thin. They're like so thin compared to modern Americans. And so like, I'm not, I'm not sure there it's possible that there is something about the combination of starch and very saturated fat that does promote leanness, but I'm not, I'm not ready to state that. I have no idea what the yeah, maybe, mechanism. No, maybe it just starts. Uh, maybe it just assists in people eating a little bit less and making them feel more full, making them feel more satisfied. I know for myself, it's still a struggle after I eat a meal. Uh, like I, I do a lot of like a carnivore style diet, very meat based diet. And after I eat my dinner, I like want the opposite of that. I want something sweet a lot of times. Right. And, if, and if you found something that pushes some of that back or uh, helps someone to avoid that, then they're going to be on their path to, to probably being in a better place. Right. No, absolutely. And, and there is, I mean, so satiation actually happens or not the whole process, but, but a lot of the process is um, happens in, in these neurons and your hypothalamus. And again, they're, what they're signaling is they're signaling these reactive oxygen species. Um, and so it, it's possible that the combination of some amount of blood sugar rise plus the, the rise in fat from, you know, from the meal you just ate together are actually somehow promoting that kind of satiation. You know, um, I have a quick question. It's because you've, you've mentioned the French multiple times. And I know nothing about the 1970s, <laughs> the French in the 1970s, sure. right? Sure. Um, but, you know, kind of think about it from like an average Joe type of a, uh, a sense. When you look at like Americans here, they have really big portion sizes. I know you mentioned that the French, you know, they ate an average of 3,000 calories a day, which is quite a bit. But there's also like a very different lifestyle here as far as being sedentary is concerned, as far as transportation is concerned, you know, being on your feet. And I'm, I'm just curious, like, I, I'm assuming you probably looked into that, but does none of that play a role in terms of the way the French looked eating that many calories back then versus the way Americans are eating excessive calories here, but having different type of lifestyle or, or was the lifestyle relatively similar? So, I mean, I, yeah, that's a, que that's a question that I get a lot, of course. Um, and I think about, I tend to think about it. Like I, I know that in my own life and my own experience, like, there's been times in my life when I will like, I'll be like, you know what? I need to lose weight. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start jogging. I'm going to do, I'm going to get really active. And I've never seen a bit of weight loss from those kinds of activities. But I know that when I change my diet, I can, I can affect my weight loss dramatically. So that's my personal bias is that like, I find that diet is 10 times as effective for controlling weight than is, than is physical activity. Um, and I know, I think there's a lot of sort of research papers, which also say that, you know, exercise alone isn't, isn't very helpful, but in making that comparison, I would think about like a, some, like a New Yorker, like people who live in the city of New York, uh, they're also very active. I mean, you use the subway, but the subway's five blocks from your house and mm -hmm. it's, you know, five long city blocks from your work. So, you know, I think like, yeah, I think people in, in New York are quite physically active. Like you're forced to be. Um, and yet there's plenty of obese New Yorkers, you know what I mean? Like it hasn't, it somehow hasn't solved the, 
the problem. And so, um, and in terms of like portion sizes, I think that, and this goes back, this again goes back to hyperlipid. It's like, if you're eating a lot of unsaturated fats, you never generate enough uh, of these reactive oxygen species, which is like the off switch for a cell. So a cell, like a fat cell specifically can either be in like, um, the mode where it's taking in energy or it can be in the mode where it's releasing energy. Right. And so the idea of the ROS theory of obesity is that as long as you're eating highly saturated fats, your cells hit that off switch pretty quick. Um, because of the way that the the fats are are um, you know oxidized in the mitochondria, but if you're eating a lot of unsaturated fats, you you can't generate the reactive oxygen species, which are in fact you know the signal for the whole thing. That's how the whole that's how that's on a basic level, the way that your cells know whether or not they're digesting fat or starch is based on the amount of these reactive oxygen species that are being generated. And when you eat polyunsaturated fats, um, that switch is broken. Your cell doesn't know that it's eating fat. It thinks it's eating carbohydrate, but yet it's actually eating fat because you're not producing the signal. And that's sort of in a very fundamental low level is what is how the polyunsaturated fat, um, affects the whole metabolism. And so, um, if you think about an American eating a huge portion size, especially at restaurants, you know, everything in a restaurant is dripping in soybean oil. Like literally it's like you go to a diner, you order eggs. What do they put on the grill? They put, they put soybean oil. Um, you know, the bacon is loaded is also loaded with polyunsaturated fats. The, you know, the fried, the, the French fries are fried in vegetable oil. And so, you can shovel down these huge portions because your cells never hit that off signal. If you, if your, you know, your fat ratio is too unsaturated. That's, that's what I think. And, and like, I'll tell you what, when I switch over to that, like stearic acid heavy diet, I mean, you just, even, even though I'm eating like French fries or pancakes, it's like, you just hit a hard stop a while in. You're just like, wow, I can't, I can't even finish this plate of French fries, which like you, that never happens at a diner, right? Where the French fries are <laughs> fried in like soybean oil. Um, and so I really think there's like, there's something to this. Um, that's yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of the difference in how you, your body responds to, you know, the stearic acid French fries versus the diner French fries. It's, it's a whole different ball game. It's kind of crazy. Um, that's, that's been what I've found. <laughs> what about, um, cause you mentioned like, you know, in France that they were all, you know, thin. Uh, what about muscle retention? Cause here on this podcast, you know, that's kind of what we we're always we're preaching, uh, you know, high protein diets, uh, protein leveraging and stuff. And, you know, we just really at the end of the day want to get jacked. So with the stearic acid, right. does it help aid uh, that? Or is it just mainly focusing on uh, fat loss? Well, so, I mean, I was focusing on fat loss. Um, I'm, I'm not a lifter, um, but I do play, I play basketball. And one thing I noticed was that when I was, if I ate a, like a, a meal the night before with a lot of this stearic acid, um, I, I was the next day I would be, I would have all this energy. I mean, just like I would, 
it's like, I'm like, wow, it's like I hit the on switch, you know? And, and I was playing great. Like, and I was like, I, in my, like literally in my weekly basketball game, my friend was like, what, what are you doing? Like, how are you just like shredding it all of a sudden? And I was like, I don't know. I just, meeting all the steer gas and I feel like explosive. Somebody on one of the, I think it's on the comments to my website mentioned something about an old study that stearic acid can actually boost hormone levels. Mm. Um, but I haven't looked into that or boost testosterone levels. I haven't looked into that. So it's like, I'm, I'm way out on a limb of things that I don't really know about here and talking about that. But, but I felt like I did feel like on the croissant diet, I felt like I got stronger. Um, and I wasn't, that was not expected. That's not why I did it. It just, but it, it just, you know, um, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. Um, what's the, uh, what's the main like blowback you get from this? Have you had people that are like, oh man, I tried it and you know, they're taking a crap on some of the stuff that you're saying. What's some of the negative or some of the blowback you might be getting? So, I mean, sure. So everyone, uh, I've had people try it and with widely varying results. Um, I've had people say, uh, I, you know, I, I tried this and upon reintroducing carbohydrates, you know, I immediately gained six or seven pounds and an inch on my waist. And obviously they're not going to continue doing it. I've had other people who have said, this is great. I love eating this way. And I've lost five inches off my waist. And I've had people say, um, you know, I tried it and the food was really good. Um, and I didn't gain any weight, but I didn't lose any weight. And I was trying to lose weight. So, you know, I'm going to try something else. And, and, um, yeah. And I don't think, like I say, I, I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really advocating to live on croissants. I, I'm just trying to point out that, uh, I think the types of fats we eat are super crucial and an underrated and sort of underexplored area. Um, do, you, do you maybe you know, do you maybe have a theory that you could potentially eat a little bit more in this way? Like, like what we know about protein, um, it seems like at this point we can kind of say that protein shouldn't count as you know four calories per gram any longer. It should be more like one or two. So potentially you could, if you're going to overeat on anything, it would be protein, and it maybe wouldn't even count against you in terms of overeating. Would you say maybe something similar with this this theory? acid theory and maybe uh like maybe somebody can eat i don't know five percent more ten percent more and kind of like quote unquote get away with it yeah i mean i think that um i really do think there's something to this idea of mitochondrial uncoupling and that if you get enough if your cells are burning enough of the saturated fat that it it takes you into this um uh, this place where your your mitochondria are literally just um, flaring off calories. Um, sorry, I'm having te- technical difficulties. Are you here. are you fam- are you familiar with a compound called DNP? Have you ever heard of that before? I'm not. Other you should, than did not play. Anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should maybe look it up because uh, the way that it works, it's a like pool chemical. Um, I think it's actually very dangerous. But people have, you know, people don't care. They they'll use anything sure. as a diet drug, right? This is not <laughs> recommended by any means, but this does raise your body temperature up, and it works through exactly what you're talking about. From what I recall, it works through mitochondrial uncoupling. From from what I remember, don't people get and hot? People get very hot. 
and people have right. people have died from it. So again, caution. I'm not recommending this. This is <laughs> this is uh, sure. an illegal compound to ingest into your body. Um, but it uh, it does it does raise body temperature, and people report that they lose like I want to say almost like a, a half a pound of fat a day or something. It's something wild. So it might be something to look well, I mean, into because it might it might uh, give more uh, to your theory a little bit. Right. No, that's, that's very interesting. And that's, I mean, that's literally exactly the same thing. Like I've had a lot, I don't necessarily feel hot when I eat it, but I have had a lot of people who've tried it and be like, yeah, I, I really, I heat up when I eat this. Like, um, so it's, I, I think that mechanism is real. I do. Um, and it's kind of cool. So steric acid is um, mild DNP. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, so uh, yeah. you're you're raising your own your own pig. So it sounds to me like like what I'm getting from this podcast more so than anything else is that not only you know that people say you are what you eat, but it sounds like it goes deeper. It's you are what you eat, but then on top of it, whatever that eats is also exactly. really important. And maybe and maybe one of the reasons why a carnivore diet works so well is because it, it I, I don't want to say a cow can eat anything, but uh, a cow seems to kind of give us a somewhat protected form of, of fats. Um, do you think that that's true? Like a, even, even when it's not I fed grass, I, I think that's absolutely true. You know, the cow or ruminants in general, right. Have this ability to saturate, um, to saturate their fats. And mm. so, and, and you see, obviously you see in the carnivore community, um, not everyone, but mostly people are eating beef. Um, and so I'm trying to bring a, you know, I'm trying to bring a sort of ideal bacon into the world that basically has um, the same fat composition as beef fat. Um, and we can do that. We can totally make, we can totally make, uh, you know, bacon that has the exact same, it'll taste just like regular bacon, but it'll have, uh, you know, the quality of beef fat. Mm. Um, so that's the whole, that's the whole thing. So that, you know, carnivores can have a little more variety in their diet without worrying about getting a ton of, of the polyunsaturated fats because the polyunsaturated fats, not only, I mean, I'm talking about one very specific, um, um, you know, how they affect energy metabolism, but they also, you know, they're very prone to oxidation. Um, they're involved in all kinds of inflammatory pathways. So like, you know, eating a lot of polyunsaturated fat can also lead to, um, inflammation and there's tons of information on the web. If you search for PUFA, P U F A and inflammation, you'll find all kinds of articles or PUFA and cancer does this, is does a this big include suspected a, connection. Does this include fish oil, fish oil as well? Uh, not, not necessarily. Aren't they polyunsaturated um, fats or no? Well, they are, they are. Okay. And so there's two main, um, I don't know. There's two main kinds of, of, of polyunsaturated fats. There's there's what are called the omega six and the omega three. Oh, got it. And fish oils are the omega three, um, and the plant oils are the omega six. And and what's happened is, um, in our diets, those omega six plant oils have become like they're just in, they're just in everything. I mean, pick up any package and you mm -hmm. see soybean oil in there and we feed it to our pigs and we feed it to the chickens. Right. And so, uh, what, what's happened is, you know, they, they think that, that traditional diets, you might've gotten like two grams of omega six fats for every one gram of omega three fats. Now it's like, 
you're getting 15 grams of omega-6 fats for every one gram of omega-3 fats. And so one of the things I'm trying to do with the pork is have a balance of, you know, maybe it'll be three to one omega-6 to omega-3 rather than modern pork, which might be 20 to one. Because those, the omega-3 and the omega-6 kind of have like pathways that oppose each other. It's like one enzyme works on both of you know, it's like it cat. Uh, yeah, it works on both the omega six and the omega three fats. So what happens is if you overload omega six, that enzyme just gets overwhelmed uh, doing that, and the omega three fats don't get like properly utilized in the pathways that they need to get utilized in. Um, so that's another role. And those, um, you know, the downstream products of omega six and omega three fats are the prostaglandins. And those are very involved in inflammation and inflammatory pathways. And so when you eat a lot of omega six fats, you're making a lot of prostaglandins and a lot of those are pro inflammatory. And it's, it's a super complex science of all that stuff. And I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, but um, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons to avoid six fats other than just uh, this effect on, metabolism do we have to make our own croissants or can we just like pick them up from starbucks or something like that well that's a (laughs) that's another question people ask um i i i would recommend making your own you know this thing this is the crazy thing in america is like even a lot of the um even a lot of the baked goods, which would be traditional baked goods, which would be made with butter, if you look at a croissant in America, it's like, oh, look, they put soybean oil in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple brands, like I think there's a Costco one that, that is wow. it's just purely a butter croissant. But um, yeah, nice. so there's a couple out there, but there's not, <laughs> but they're few and far between. You got to really read the labels, and because a lot of them have soybean oil in it. Um, I'm actually so going to can't really try and it. I'm actually going to give some of uh, some of these recommendations a shot. I'm going to give some of this a try and and like put it into practice so that the people that listen to the show can kind of uh, follow along. You know, so what other recipes you got that are you got a croissant and then like what other types of things? Like what if just what if I just made like a sourdough bread at home and just threw some butter on it or something like that? Yeah, I mean that would be good. And I think that I think that the effect, like I think for everybody. Um, like how saturated the fat that that you need to eat to like actually try to like force weight loss is going to depend on a lot of things. One, it's going to depend on how saturated your body fat is because at any time, um, you know, mitochondria are consuming a, a blend of like the dietary fat that you just ate plus your stored fat. And so it's like, if you've got a lot of stored polyunsaturates, you might have to consume a really highly saturated fat to get this to work. Mm. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe not even to work, but, um, so I, I, again, I I guess all I'm saying is, you know, your mileage may vary. Um, but I would say stick to as butter's pretty saturated. Um, you know, the stuff that I make the, um, the fire in a bottle stuff is like way more saturated even than butter though. But it's, 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 it's waxier, you know, it's got, it's like, (laughs) But here's the thing I was doing um, at the end is I was making these pancakes. Um, you know, croissants are fun, but they're a lot of work. And so I got tired of making croissants and I just started making pancakes and frying that 
in the butter that was enhanced with the stearic acid. And wow, pancakes can absorb a tremendous amount of fat. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. And so I was literally, I was eating these like stacks of pancakes, um, which were just like, I mean, they would absorb, like you could absorb a whole stick of butter into like two or three pancakes with oh. the extra stearic acid. I was eating those and I was, and I was continuing to lose, lose weight on those, <laughs> but that was like a giant <laughs> amount of fat. Um, and I was, you know, and inches were still coming off. Um, and pounds is there anything to be cautious with like if we cook you know if you cook the butter at too high of a temperature or something like you know if you're gonna you know cook uh, something in butter should be careful of how high the temperature is and stuff like that Uh, yeah i mean you know uh you don't want to the good news is that um out of all the fats the ones that are not going to oxidize are the saturated fats Mm. you know what i mean like when you get in trouble with like burning oils it's the it's the polyunsaturated fats are the ones that are oxidizing and forming the the cyclic uh all the weird nasty chemicals so um you can use this with fairly high heat there's not a lot of you know the percentage of the polyunsaturated fats in that is down in the like two to three percent range so you know you don't want to over burn any fat but you can cook with fairly high temperatures with this I was doing a lot of frying. Awesome. Uh, what other projects you have coming up? You have anything specific coming up? And do you I like mean, uh, do some talking? Uh, you know, on this subject, uh, have you you know done seminars or anything like that? And trying to teach other people, or mainly blog type stuff? Uh, mostly, I'm working on my blog, and I'm working on the the firebrand meats. Um, you know, I, I do have I do have some podcasts coming up. Um, I'm going to go on Ben Greenfield. Cool. Um, and. Um, and so, and uh, superhuman radio, I think. But um, you know, I'm really focusing on the firebrand meats aspect because I do think that I think we need a source of, you know, of chicken and pork that aren't all loaded with polyunsaturated fats. I think that would be a great thing. Right now, you almost can't find that because even, you know, unfortunately, even um, like organic uh, producers or pastured producers, they still it's really hard to find. Uh, protein sources for organic that aren't roasted soybeans. And so you end up feeding full fat roasted soybeans to the, to the pigs and the chickens. And so um, I'm just trying to, that's my big project right now is firebrand meats. Um, We're doing a, what I call a CSA and that's an important concept. It's uh, stands for community supported agriculture. Um, That's an idea that started in Japan in the, I don't know, 1960s or seventies. And a woman named Elizabeth Henderson actually, um, who was my country neighbor here in upstate New York, um, uh, popularized the term here in the U.S. And the idea is that you want to produce a a specific product. Um, You don't necessarily have the capital to make it. um, And so you ask the customers to basically, you know, buy a share in the beginning of the season at the end of the year. It's like, it's like a co-op and it's a little bit like a, like a, like a, it's sort of like preceded ideas like Kickstarter campaigns. You know what I mean? It's like, we're all going to buy a share. And then at the end of the year, we all, you know, we get, we get the product. Right. Um, And so I'm trying to get enough, I'm trying to get enough capital together to actually make this product. You know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a labor of love. Um, any meat project is a ton of work and it's not a high margin product to make, but I just, I really want to make it. I mean, I want to have it myself. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, that's, that's, that's a big, that's really kind of like 
what I'm doing right now. Great. Is there any? Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep blogging and writing, and I, I am actually gonna try to do a. Um, actually, here's a cool experiment that I want to do. Um, I want to. Um, I'm gonna try to do this like eight day dietary trial, and I'm gonna make. It's a little tricky because I want to do it with a. Um, I want to be able to test my resting metabolic rate. Um, and I don't have a way to do that right now. So I'm hoping there are some like mobile units out there. So I'm hoping that like, I know PNOE makes one. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to see if I can get like a test from them and maybe help get them get their name out there. Um, but, and I also want to do my blood work. I want to take like, uh, I'm going to eat like a huge stearic acid meal one night um, or, you know, get, do my blood panel in the morning, test insulin, test blood sugar, test ketones, test uh, free fatty acids, cryomicrons, um, all the things, and then do the stearic acid feast and then retest the next morning and see how that, you know, did my metabolic rate change? Uh, do I have more energy available in the form of like free fatty acids as a result of consuming the, the, um, the stearic acid? How does that affect my hunger? And then try it. And then try it the next night with like maybe a, maybe the same meal, but like cooked in olive oil and see how that, see how that changes with a really unsaturated fat. But it's like, but I want to do it. I'd really like to do it right and do it like, and basically do like a 48 hour cycle based off each meal and repeat it twice for each one so that's like an eight-day trial but i also it's tricky because in new york state um we can't just go to a lab and do a blood test it's actually illegal so i have to go to like pencil i mean you can do it with a prescription from your doctor but you can't just walk in and say hey i want to get my you know cholesterol levels read so i have to go to pennsylvania to pull this off so i'm gonna have to like hole up I guess in a hotel room with like one of those like little mini kitchenettes and <laughs> live next to the testing lab to like <laughs> and go back and forth in some random hotel in Pennsylvania. So that's going to be a, <laughs> I don't know. I'm still trying to work out all logistics and what I really need is one of the metabolic testing machines. So uh, that's like my big thing that I like want to do from uh, like a testing this diet perspective, but it's a little, I'm working on it. Complicated, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? Where do you want to kind of direct people towards to find out more information about you? Sure. So my blog is called uh, fireinabottle.net. Obviously, the croissant diet is like where a lot of people start, but I would recommend um, the ROS theory of obesity. That really is the background science. Um, uh, You should check out the article, Disastrous Trends in American Bacon. Um, That's the article where I talk about sort of this history of why our pork has gone up in polyunsaturated fats. And check out Firebrand Meats. Uh, That is where the uh, pork CSA shares are available. Um, I hope you guys want to buy some ideal pork that's not full of vegetable oil. Um, and I'm hoping a lot of you sign up because I really want to, I really want to make this project happen. I'm excited about it. So are there any, um, uh, pork products you can direct people to at the moment that are like kind of easy to get? You know, honestly, I don't have, I don't really have a lot of good sources right now of like people, you know, it's so few, 
the livestock feeding industry is so incredibly uncreative. It's so frustrating. And I just, I can't, you know, it's really hard. I have a couple really good sources now of, of, of where I can get feeds and I know I can get the right feeds and I can make this product, but it's, it's really hard. Mm. I would like in the future to have a directory of, you know, local farms producing things the right way. And I think that's another upcoming project, but I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Do I, do I have time to tell a quick, funny story? Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> back, this was like 15 years ago when I was just starting to raise pigs, I called this local feed mill. And what I was, I knew that, you know, um, traditional European pork was like barley finished and it was firmer and U.S. pork was actually always sold, has always sold at a discount in European markets because the Europeans considered it soft and inferior because of the corn oil content. And so anyway, I was trying to find uh, this grain called triticale, which is a cross between wheat and rye. It's got good protein and it's very low in fat and it would be a good base of a pig diet. And so I called this local feed mill. Triticale is also used for like uh, people grow it for um, hay. Um, so it's like a seed crop and I called this feed mill and I was like, yeah, I was wondering if, if you'd be interested in making a, a triticale based pig diet for me. And the woman on the phone said, well, we sell seed or we sell feed, not seed. And I was like, okay, no, I mean, I understand that, but what I'm saying is I'm going to feed this to my pigs. It's going to be a feed. I just, you know, but I want to use triticale instead of corn. And she just said, Feed, not seed. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can see this conversation is going nowhere. Mm. <laughs> and I hung up. I mean, that was—it's like that level of, of, you know, trying to get farms to do it. And farms are like, well, can, can you really raise pigs without corn? You know, it's like the level of of, and the nutritionists forget about it. They mm. are, they are, they know what they were taught in school, and that's that mm. pigs and chickens eat corn and. That's it. I thought pigs ate, ate anything. I thought, yeah, I thought that's why they're pigs. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely what I think. Um, you know, there's, there's all like back in the day in the South, when they would harvest the sweet potatoes, you would turn the, you would turn the pigs into the sweet potato field and they would eat all of the sweet potatoes you missed and they would fatten up that way and you'd send them to market. And that's a really nice firm fat because there's almost no uh, fat in a sweet potato. So that's a, good way to make really nice firm pork fat which you know would be cool to do too but probably not super cost effective today so thanks again for your time brad we really appreciate it have a great rest of your day thank you absolutely yes. thanks thank guys. you see ya the croissant diet i love it i love what he said about pancakes yeah mm-hmm. we got to go make some pancakes a stick of butter per pancake mm-hmm. <laughs> that that pancake seems like the like the i don't know just the the it's the juicy, not juicy. Juicy is not the right word. What's a good pan- pancake? It's thick. Yeah. Thick. thick. It seems like and a heavy. really ni- thick and heavy. Yeah. Like it weighs yes, a lot. <laughs> those are, those are good pancakes. When that's they're how too you know fluffy, good, they're weak. That's how you know it's a good cookie too. When you pick up like a tray of cookies and someone just made them and they're like super heavy, like yeah. you almost drop to the floor because it's got so much butter in it. It's super heavy, but when you bite into it, it's like oh. really, it's really gooey. It's really know? not a cookie. It's like a stick of butter. It yeah. really is like that. All butter cookies from Rayleigh's are the best. Oh, and then man. pancakes, like they absorb everything. Just like he said, he's like, yeah. they can absorb a whole stick of butter it's like no they can and they're delicious oh god <laughs> i want some pancakes i really do but yo i think um no what he was what what some of this up like yeah no what he was saying was making sense because like americans were like demonizing saturated fat and what the 
eighties and nineties. And then you just started seeing a lot of people get really, really fat. Right. Right. So he was pretty much saying, you know, bring saturated fat as a, your main fat source in your diet, which is, even though we don't say that specifically in terms of the way we eat, that's kind of the, that's the way you're eating right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Saturated fat and protein. That's how I'm eating too. And then if you have room for a couple other things go for it. Yeah. And I also think that if the percentage of those other things that you're eating is, is low, it almost doesn't matter what those other things are. You know, it just, it just tends to matter a lot less. You know, if you, uh, let's say every, every third day you, uh, eat as many bowls of cereal as you want or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you knock off a, a box of cereal or you knock off, uh, a good amount of like ice cream. I think if that's making up, um, again, a small percentage of what you normally do, you eat three or four meals every single day and one meal out of every 20 or something is, uh, kind of whatever you're going to be satisfied you'll be full because you're having the protein you're having the fat yeah and what i got from this podcast more so than anything is just to you know i i like bacon and sausage and stuff but like i really don't like it that much mm-hmm. i just won't eat it anymore yeah you know because like why why bother with it why you know and again it, it's it's how much it's the dose you know so i could still have it here and there if it's in something i'm not going to uh, freak out about it, but I want to kind of test this theory a little bit and I don't, I'm not going to like switch over to like eating croissants all the time. But last night I, I ate a, uh, a big steak and had a baked potato with it and it was, uh, it was delicious. And I've been kind of doing some of that anyway, but, uh, the, the carbohydrate is like the afterthought. It's like the last thing for me kind of, you know, the one thing I was, uh, what he was making, what he was saying about the French did make a lot of sense though, because they probably didn't eat a crazy amount of, yeah, they probably didn't eat a crazy amount of processed carbohydrates, which mm-hmm. again, super popular here, excessive amounts of processed yeah. carbohydrates. Um, they ate a lot of saturated fats. The The lifestyle thing though is still in the back of my head because it's not, it's Absolutely. not exercise. It's like what they call that neat mm-hmm. aspect. 100%. They're not exercising. They're just moving way more. You know what I mean? Moving way more, not easing, eating a crazy amount of processed carbohydrates. It, it's, it, it makes sense why they were that way. And I think the lifestyle does play a role. Um, but the saturated fats also play a massive role too. Obesity is a tricky, it's a tricky subject. It's a tricky thing. Um, there's a lot of, uh, a mental side of it. You know, there's, there's, a sometimes with people that are, uh, very, very heavy, there's like, a there's psychological damage somewhere in their history. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people don't recognize that. I think sometimes the person that is heavy may not even recognize what a huge problem, uh, something that happened in their childhood or something that they just haven't maybe really dealt with. And that's a, that's a side of uh nutrition that just probably doesn't come to the surface enough that mm-hmm. people have these, these problems that they haven't, they've never gone back and fixed. And so every time they try to diet, they lose 20, they lose 20, they gain 20, they gain 30, they lose, you know, they go back and forth and they kind of yo-yo diet, but they haven't really ever fixed the main root cause of the problem. And it's, it might sound funny in some way, but like, they're just really hurting inside. And they don't, they don't know how to express it or they haven't gone back and figured out a way past that yet. And so they, when things are going good, you tend to throw a lot of chaos back into your life because that's what you were maybe brought up with, or that's what you experienced in a relationship somewhere along the lines. And so that extra noise 
you're like, you're expecting that. Maybe you don't think you're worthy of being thin. Maybe you don't think you're worthy of looking better or feeling better. And when you start to feel better for multiple days, you're like the shit's going to hit the fan. The shit's going to hit the fan. Something bad's going to happen. And you start to go back to your old ways. And it's a, it's a very vicious cycle. But in the end, it almost always, there are some conditions that people might have, but it almost always comes down to, you got to figure out a way to eat less. I mean, you have to figure out a way to like fit, you know, and, and I don't count calories, but again, I've mentioned this many times on this show, just because I don't count them doesn't mean that they don't count. Mm. You know, I still, and I also, um, just cause I don't count them doesn't mean that I don't account for them. I, I, I know what I'm doing when I, when I see the food, I see the portion size, um, I do a little bit of an eye for an eye uh, type of thing with my nutrition, but I try to have a healthy relationship with that and not come in and like, oh, I ate ice cream last night, so I'm going to destroy myself in the gym. It's more like I've actually learned to look at it in a, a more positive way of saying like uh, I, I ate that food for extra fuel and that food's going to propel me forward tomorrow or I'm going to feel stronger for squats tomorrow. You know, it's almost like a little a little lie that I tell myself to to, to allow for that meal, you know, um, but also too sometimes truthfully, you just need it. Sometimes you just need the surplus of calories. I think I think what he's saying and what we see from so many uh, people is that he's kind of falling upon something that may be effective it may work pretty well but it also it's also probably not a means to an end like you probably wouldn't ride out that diet forever and i would imagine that it probably just wouldn't work for a very long time that could also be the case with a keto diet you heard him say he used keto diet many times in the past it didn't have the same effectiveness when he tried to come back to it when he was a little older and uh i have noticed personally myself with certain diets it's like when i when I stop them and bring them back, just like with training, when you bring in a, an old method or bring in a new method, you end up having a, a great response to it, you know, because your body kind of gets used to it. And it's not saying that um, eating less calories isn't always effective, but if you do it for a long time, we know that your body's like, hey, you know, like this is the end of the line. We're not going to lose weight anymore. Even if you just stop eating completely for a few days, we know that that can kind of slow down the neat that you, I mean, it automatically think about how crazy it is. Mm -hmm. Your body will auto correct itself. Your body will say, Hey, that fidgeting that you do with your leg or that twirl of the pen, we're going to shut that down because you're not giving us enough food. Yeah. That's wild to think about. Yeah. You know, well, I'm curious what your thoughts are about this because you know, uh, I've done carnivore a bit in the past. Um, I do, I would say there are certain days where I do carnivore where I only mm -hmm. eat meat. Right. But then there are certain days where, I eat quite a bit of meat, quite a bit of fat. There's certain days where I eat some carbs some fats and protein. Um, and it's not like I don't stick to one thing. And I feel like when you, when you get an understanding of like how you can eat, you, you like, I'm, I feel like you're doing the same thing too. Like there are certain days where you're only eating meat. There are certain days where you have some potatoes in your food. I like, went like two days in a row and I was like, I haven't eaten any carbs in a while. I did. I didn't notice it. Yeah. I, I mean, I noticed it because uh, when I was eating dinner, I was like, oh, I kind of feel like eating a little bit more than what I had on my plate. And I was like, well, I don't have a vegetable on my plate, which I don't really normally eat vegetables that much anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just like, oh, it kind of would have been nice to have like a potato. So then last night I had steak and a potato. So it's like, I'm not really trying to strategically make sure that there's a carbohydrate in there, but uh, sometimes I am. 
you know? So like I, I went for a run the other day I was like, ah, you know, I, the last meal I had was at one, I'm going to run it like, I'm going to run it like five. And it was like, I don't know. It was like three or three 30. I was like, I'm going to eat an apple and have a protein shake. Even, I didn't really even want it, but I was just like, I think it will be beneficial for me to have that because I don't want to like run and then be thinking about food and kind of be worn out. The sun's out and stuff like that. I'm thinking like hydration and just kind of overall mm-hmm. feeling. I wanted to be able to put in a good effort when I went and ran. And when I went to run, you know, as I kind of warmed up and as I started feeling better, I was like, oh, I feel good. I, it felt like it gave me a little extra uh, you know, burst of energy. And that's kind of how I'm, I'm measuring it, but I'm not like, you know, oh, because I did this activity, I need 300 grams of carbs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm yeah. not really like, you know, doing, doing anything like that. I think that's a good place for people to show to, to try to get to. Like if you're using carnivore right now to lose weight, it's working, stick to it. If you're using keto right now, it's working, stick to it. When you get close to your goal or when you get to your goal, experiment a little bit. Don't like, I mean, if, if you really feel, you know, bad when you eat potatoes okay maybe stay away from a potato if it makes you like you know if it gets you emotionally or something but um test things out a little bit because i mean at the end of the day when it when, when it comes down to it you want to be able to have a little bit of freedom with your eating while not eating like an asshole you know you want to be able to have some variability without it getting to you so you have a good relationship with food and it doesn't feel bad when you go and eat a slice of pizza with your family mm. mm. what do you think andrew very interesting and it really just comes back to like what you guys are saying but to me it it seemed like um you know it was adding this uh stearic acid to an already you know kind of almost fat adapted diet it's just really gonna make you more satiated so you're not gonna want to eat more so you eat less calories gonna come down and that's just i mean calories in calories out whatever you want to call it it's just pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. it you know uh, I know even he said it, you know, labeling it the uh, croissant diet was just to really like kind of not trigger people, but to get some attention. But he understood that like, no, it's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you know, this just kept me fuller, longer, better than anything else I had ever tried. And I think he missed a huge marketing opportunity because he calls it fire in a bottle. He should have definitely called it stoic acid because mm-hmm. it's stearic acid. That's just me thinking, <laughs> thinking outside the bottle. Well, but yeah, messaging that. <laughs> yeah, or we could, yeah. Because every time, like they, uh, I, I was thinking about it, even when writing down notes, I, I wrote stoic acid on accident. Mm, like, stoic. oh, like that's perfect. Stoic acid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because think about it, it keeps you all you know, stoic. Yeah, I like it. Not thinking about food all day. <laughs> yeah, and there's 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 a lot of hormonal things that can happen in your body when you start to like learn how to eat less you know i think um something to kind of keep in mind is that uh you know everybody well not everybody most people are born with like full access to everything they need their body to do in most cases especially when it comes to your metabolism but you can kind of just think of like there's things that we do to interrupt that and there's things that we do to ourselves that throw that way off and some of that could just be training like way too hard. Like we need strenuous exercise. We were probably designed to, uh, you know, carry stuff. We were designed to like, uh, you know, shovel ditches and like do all kinds of different stuff. Right. And, and uh, you know, get our own food and hunt and things like that. But then like how much above and beyond, you know, like a, a primal man wouldn't go out for like a run. Like there would just be... <laughs> It would, it, it would, it would actually be, in, unless, unless we were 
unless we were kind of playing around and we want to compete with each other because we're the same, we're similar age and we're, we're in a similar woman. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Showing off in front of people at a, at a, at an event games, right. Those are things that people did. And those things are, those things are worth the cost of calories. And then also too, like if we're trying to prove our worth, uh, you know, how, how we can hunt, uh, in comparison to other people around, like, so then there would be some reasons for some stuff like that, but you're not gonna, you know, a primal man's not gonna, you know, wake up at four in the morning you know have something have something wake them up at four in the morning an alarm clock or something and and go run five miles we're not going to go run five miles together and if we did like and we were young like people would be like what the fuck you're gonna die because like we don't have the energy to like you know what what are you doing and if you were running to an area or or walking to an area that would be different but uh you get this idea that you know today's exercise which i have called artificial exercise it's just kind of fill in those gaps because we don't need to do any of that stuff anymore mm-hmm. and i think one piece that's missing from brad's content and and it was good that he was like i don't really know a ton about that and he did say he didn't know a lot of times and and i think that's uh that's helpful but yeah he is kind of missing some of the exercise component and it'd be cool if more people kind of checked out his website and played around with some of the message that he had from today so that we can gather more information i, I don't think that anybody said anything that he said is uh harmful in any way the one thing i would maybe suggest is that you know in 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 trying something like this you know understand that that no one is trying to give you permission to just eat whatever you want and no one is giving you trying to give you permission to eat as much as you want mm-hmm. so i think in brought up a really good point where he was like hey like i eat 100 grams of fat already do I just eat an additional hundred? And Brad, you know, basically said, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but he said it, it would be a good idea to have that in consideration. You know, maybe, maybe go halfway, maybe go in the middle or maybe just experiment to see if there's a difference. I think the main thing I, again, I, that I got from it was just to try to steer more clear of the polyunsaturated fats and, and lean in a little bit harder into the things that have uh, stearic acid. I'm just going to try for the next couple of days just to, you know, have a little bit more butter. And I like potatoes a lot, so I might have a little bit more potato or a little bit more rice. Um, I might try to make some bread at home, like my sister-in-law, April. She's been making some sourdough at home, and it's like Dang. makes the whole house smell amazing. Oh. And, you know, as as long as, you know, as long as you're not... If you were eating the sourdough, like like you do at a restaurant, they put the bread on the table, and then it doesn't leave room for your main course, then you're making a huge mistake, I think, because your main course almost always has a good protein source. I think, mm-hmm. not that the order matters too much, but I, I, I know that you want to make sure that you can get your protein in, and if you eat the bread or eat a sandwich midday, and that sacrifices your ability to eat protein later on, I think you might be making a big mistake. Yeah, I feel like a heavy stearic acid croissant would be an awesome thing to have pre-workout. Well, I wonder what stearic acid even tastes like. That might be a little too like much. That might be a little... A little too uh, heavy? It's got yeah, heavy. Fat, fats before workouts are kind of can be kind of hard. That is true. I'm just thinking, I don't know, I just want croissant. What does it taste <laughs> like, though? Like, it doesn't taste like butter. Like, does it... I, I'm, I should. Have I love that, that he. I love that he like got a bunch of stearic acid himself. Pure shit. <laughs> Pure stearic. I'm imagining acid. that it probably like might burn a little bit, Ooh. just because of the name. You know, 
Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. When he said people said that they were getting hot, like I was just like. But butter doesn't have any sort of burn flavor to it. Um, if you were just to have like straight up olive oil, I wonder if it's like maybe something similar to that. Mm. You know, that's got like a olive oil tastes really good on stuff, but having like a spoonful of olive oil is not not the not the greatest tasting thing. Or uh, you ever try like flaxseed oil before? That yeah, kind of has yeah, I've used it. that has a little bit of a burn to it, like kind of just in, it's not not like it's disgusting or anything, but just a little burn in the back of the throat. I'm imagining that this probably does something similar i wonder if you could even google stearic acid and buy it on like amazon but yeah, these sure pure chemicals He's, like it's he, he sells it oh he, oh yeah he does have his fire in a bottle yeah interesting too um it kind of looks like uh coconut oil interesting that you can um that there's a study that he talked about with shakes you know using like 24 or 28 grams of it uh in a shake is very interesting but yeah, the uncoupling theory, uh, the mitochondria type stuff, that was interesting. And and the kind of, um, you know, it may be potentially turning on your body's ability to release some fat cells or release some uh, fat storage is, is definitely really interesting. I mean, shit, if there's any truth to that, that could be, these things can be really helpful. So, you know, if he, if he has found something and he's, you know, pointing to a subject that people haven't really looked into enough before then and maybe well, maybe he found something that's really worthwhile well i mean let's let's look at this real quick when people talk about like for example the paleo diet when you look at the fats that are within the paleo diet they're mainly saturated mm-hmm. fats right or am i wrong no you're right yeah so i mean i feel like a lot of these diets have kind of been on this mm-hmm. even though they may have not been saying that specifically or that it's not the main point of the diet. Like this seems to be the main concept of right. what he's talking about here. That mitochondrial uncoupling, mainly saturated fats using stearic acid being highly satiated. But that seems to also be a theme within like when people talk about good keto, like when you see mm-hmm. people talking about like healthy eating with keto, it's mainly saturated right. fats. You know, when people talk, when you guys talk about carnivore, it's mainly saturated fats. Right. So it's like, those are, these are all the things that, we're already like a lot of people are already talking about, but not in that way. And it's good to understand it in the way that he's speaking about it. Yeah. I love that. I think also too, the, the other factor, and we've, we've talked about this quite a bit on the show too. um, When people come from the side of, if it fits your macros or they come from the side of flexible dieting, what's the most appealing thing? What's the sexy thing of, of those diets is, you know, the pop tart, right? Like people, you know, talk about the, you know, get to eat a pop tart and then some people kind of get overboard with it and say, Hey, that's not the point of the diet is yeah. to, you know, make room for pop tarts necessarily. Um, but it is, it is a diet that has been effective for a lot of people. People have been able to use it with great success. Uh, some of the, um, some of the people that you follow on social media that have the best physiques that you've ever seen, they utilize similar principles where they, they count their calories, they pay attention to their caloric intake, and occasionally they will, will make room for something that they really enjoy. And if you think about you're trying to sell people on, trying to sell people on this idea of like obesity can be much, uh, obesity can be, um, uh, defeated or obesity can be, you know, maybe cured might be a word, um, or it could be something that we can, um, we can attack in, in a, uh, in a slightly easier fashion because, 
I didn't know if you knew this, but you can actually eat like this as well. And then you have opportunities to eat occasionally have a grilled cheese sandwich or have uh, you know, some sourdough bread or have a croissant. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, I didn't, it's just a new level of knowledge to where you were like, oh, I have a total misunderstanding of nutrition. I thought that I had to be on this strict protocol for 75 days straight where I train twice a day and I'm just, you know, going hard in the paint and there's no other way to do it. And I'm, you know, a piece of crap because I got these bad habits and I need these X amount of days before I break those habits. And you really end up you know, in a bad spot with some bad dialogue, but it's like, well, we can utilize some theories from intermittent fasting. We can utilize some theories of protein leveraging. We can utilize some theories from bodybuilding. We can utilize some feel, uh, some theories from intermittent, from um, if it fits your macros, we can utilize some theories from potentially something like this. And, and now you end up, you know, explaining to your mother or your uncle, you can say, Hey, you know, here, here's the options. You know, we can go with the diet that kind of looks like this every couple days. You can kind of mix in what you want, or you can mix in what you want every day but here's the price that the, that you'll pay for that. Like there's always, there's always a trade off. There's no easy way to the top. You know, you're always going to have to fight for it. Um, but maybe you can find a path where the fight is just less for you. And for one person that might be a low carb diet for another person that might be a higher carb diet for another person. Maybe that's uh they, they go hard for two weeks and they cheat, you know, Saturday and Sunday, you know, whatever it might be. You know, and it just is, let's, let's give people thousands of options on how to lose fat and maybe we can help people better. Yeah. And wine fasting. <laughs> yeah. He loved wine, huh? And he might like that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> she would love that. <laughs> yeah. That intermittent, fun. intermittent wine fasting. <laughs> we need to ask to explain that. Yeah. She asked me if I wanted a drink the other day and I was like, I haven't eaten anything all day. She's like, so? <laughs> She's already doing it. I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get hammered. I'm like, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't, uh, yeah. Out of nowhere for no, like, I don't, (laughs) I mean, I don't mind having like a glass, you know, with dinner or having a glass kind of before dinner. Um, but you know, when it's 4 PM and I haven't eaten anything yet the whole day and I worked out and stuff, I'm like, that's going to just annihilate me. Yo, that's great. (laughs) 4 PM. Want a glass of wine? Yeah. Love it. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't really need a reason. That's good. Appreciate having uh, Brad on the show. That was uh, that was awesome. Hopefully, you guys are uh, you know receiving this stuff with an open mind because it is different. And uh, hopefully, some of what he said today didn't trigger you too much, (laughs) make you lose your mind. But again, I, I think we're just trying to be we're just trying to help people we're trying to expose stuff and i actually think that this topic isn't going to go away i think we're going to see a lot more of this and he's getting on some other big podcasts coming up um and i think that if he you know he 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 might not be the guy to champion it maybe there's other people involved as well but you're going to hear it from multiple people and uh you know ron again is the one who kind of brought this to my attention and if it's got his attention, it's gonna. I think it's going to certainly grab other people's attention. Andrew, take us on out of here, buddy. Thank you, everybody, for checking out today's episode. Thank you, Piedmontese, for sponsoring this episode. For more information on them, please check the show notes and the uh, video description down below. Uh, please make sure you're following the podcast at Mark Bell's Power Project on Instagram, at MB Power Project on Twitter. We're also on LinkedIn, Facebook, and, of course, YouTube. Uh, my Instagram is at I am Andrew Z. And Seema, where you be? And Seema Inyang on Instagram and YouTube, and Seema Yin Yang on Twitter. Talking Twitter, Mark. 
I'm at Mark Smelly Bell on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Strength is never weak this week. This is never strength. Catch you all later. Bye.